1: I vote for a sinful political candidate and then the transforming power of waiting on God.
2: A church in Texas illegally performs an edited version of a popular Broadway musical and later how middle class families are not pacing with inflation. You're listening to The Common Good.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on this Thursday afternoon. We're getting near the end of summer. Hopefully, you've got a couple more things planned. But kids are starting to go back to school. Your kids go soon. My daughter's yep. going to college soon. Yep. It does feel like the right time. I, I, I always miss the end of summer, but there's something ni- Isn't there something nice about, like, the... the rep- the routine that kind of comes, yeah, I, mean, I, I wouldn't choose it, but yeah, it's not bad. yes,
2: I, I kind of hear what you're saying. Like, I actually love having my kids home for summer and I love not having the routine, like not having to get everybody out the door and make sure they have all the stuff in their backpack and the homework. that like, I don't miss that. But then simultaneously, there is something nice about like, okay, here we go again. We know where we're going to be when we're going to be there. We've got a little more organization to our day. My kids aren't at home on screens all day, <laughs> you know, so it's a uh, it's bittersweet. There could, you go. We could call it that bittersweet. As we wrap up the summer
1: i mean you, you want to talk bittersweet i got a girl going to college <laughs> uh, I know,
2: I'm, so, I'm so emotional for you my i've told you this before my like empath is like going You're firing on all, I am. All, all cylinders with you taking your daughter to college i think because i'm two years away from this now with my son and i'm feeling it already like right. i am feeling the the passage of time
1: so you have absolutely no way of knowing this right now so i won't hold you to this okay. but if you had to guess that your son will go to school really close to home, mm. uh, two hours from home, or far? He's getting on an airplane; he's going far. Yeah. What is he most like? I understand there's a million things that yeah. will inform this that you guys have not done yet, but yeah. if you if you were betting right now, just
2: based on personality and based on whatever, I think semi close to home, but not like Wheaton College. Like That's he's right. not going to go in our backyard, but I don't think he's going to go to California. Okay. I, I mean, we would encourage him to go, you know, where he feels like God is calling him to. But I, just based on personality, I'm kind of guessing he's going to...
0: You say that now. I know.
2: No, I, <laughs> I'm i very aware of the fact that he might be like, Mom, Dad, I'm out of here. It's what I did to my parents. So I did I it cannot, too. I cannot hold, hold it against him.
1: How we're far? You and I both went to Wheaton. Yeah. So you came from Oklahoma. I mm-hmm. came from New Jersey. Yeah. What was the What was the distance for you?
2: Uh, it's it To my parents' hometown, it's about 13, 14 hours. I was yeah. 12. I See? Was Yeah, we we both went pretty far. Yeah. My dad, I'll never forget this. My dad bribed me with a brand new, at the time, the new Jeep Cherokees had come out with a new body style. And my dad was like, I will buy you one of those if you'll stay at a Texas or Oklahoma school. And I was like, sorry, dad, I want to go to Wheaton.
1: That's wild. I know, isn't that know. wild? I just, uh, you know, more power to our parents because I, I can't imagine my daughter going twelve hours right now. She's going two and a half. And it's yeah. Like,
2: okay. I know. That? And, and my, I mean, my parents were right because they were like, and this is the same that's true for you too. My Toyanda. parents were like, "You're, yeah, you're gonna find somebody from there. You're gonna fall in love. You're gonna get married, and you're never gonna come home again." And they were right. That's it is hard. The, it is the
1: weird thing to think about is if I hadn't got, if I hadn't met Carrie at the at Wheaton. I would have gone back to New Jersey, I think. Like, how different our lives would have Isn't been. Isn't that
2: so true? Yep. It's so true. Would have changed Would have so changed I blame everything. Her. It's her fault. It's Kevin's
1: fault. for <laughs> me, like, our
2: parents really should be mad at them. That's not, right. Not that's at right. us. Well,
1: we're glad that you're with us today. If you miss any of our shows this week, go get our podcast wherever it is to get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, review. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. At Common Good Talk. All right, let's talk politics. Over at the Gospel Coalition, Robert Golding wrote this. Can I vote for a sinful political candidate? We understand. Some of you read that. You, Everybody's sinful. Understood. He's talking like the blatant, (laughs) Mm -hmm. like the this and that. Yeah. And the subtitle here is what Romans 13 teaches about honoring civil authorities. I Hmm. want you to know something interesting that's happened with this article. It's gotten shared a lot on Twitter right now. Sure. And uh, just from the title, people not having read it. There's all these people who are like, shame on Gospel Coalition, writing an article to justify voting for President Trump. And there's equal number of people. Shame on the Gospel Coalition, justifying, uh, justifying an uh, voting for Biden and other Democrats. Wow. Like that's, uh, okay. That is how it tends to yeah. work. And so uh, let me give you some of his, his kind of money quotes here. And I okay. just love your thoughts because I think we're continually wrestling with what do we as Christians – What's our what's our posture yeah. towards politics? Yeah. How do we decide who gets our vote? How do we all of this stuff? Yeah. So he says this. Paul's teaching, particularly on Romans 13, Paul's teaching frees the conscience of Christians to vote for political candidates that display radically unchristian behavior. Hmm. Paul's teaching frees the conscience of Christians to vote for political candidates that display radically unchristian behavior what do you think about that quote
2: um i want to know how he's getting there because i'm a little bit a little bit surprised by this again do we have any political candidates that are displaying radical christian behavior no so in one sense this is the only options we have but i think he's saying something deeper than that like with your conscience you You can can be for a pagan candidate so
1: what he says is from romans 13 He says, this is what I just read. He says, this is because Paul is taking for granted that the rulers in Rome are depraved pagans, Mm -hmm. yet he instructs the Roman church to engage in a symbiotic relationship with them. Since Paul tells the Romans to give honor to depraved pagans, Christians today can vote for similarly depraved pagans with clear conscience. Wow. I think he uses such, I I don't, I, I don't know that I disagree with his point. But man, the language there is really strong. It's strong. But you're clear language. to go for the, the like. Yeah. I would like to think that we still value character, right? But I think his point is, and honestly, this is a lot of how the Christian friends of mine ended up voting, pulling the lever for President Trump was. Uh, I'm more concerned with what they're going to do versus who they are. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, this is interesting, especially at a mm-hmm. place like the Gospel Coalition, mm-hmm. because you're like. No, no, character matters. And they wouldn't say those things don't matter necessarily. But this is almost an ends justify the means argument here, because the one spot I would disagree with him was there weren't other candidates in the Roman world. Right. We've got choices here.
2: Yeah, good point. And it almost
1: seems like he's saying character doesn't need to be a part of the of the decision making process.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I a group of us were studying Romans kind of in the middle of pandemic. And I remember, you know, Paul talking about giving honor to officials who were providing like order and peace. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I necessarily made the connection that that meant. Therefore it's okay to vote for those who aren't doing that. Um, So, Anyway, I'm not sure if I agree with this guy. I don't to be think honest. I do. Um, and, and I think it goes to what you're talking about, Brian, which is, um, yeah, Paul wasn't in a democracy. So they weren't voting for options. And we have a political, let's just use the last political election. We've got Trump claiming he's an evangelical Christian behaving wildly anti-Christian, saying things that are wildly anti-Christian, stirring up all kinds of a mess. I know lots of listeners will disagree with me there, but that's obviously just my opinion. And Biden, the same thing, like a practicing Catholic who is pro-abortion and things that I don't think are Christian. And so when you've got... Uh, uh, your authority figures claiming the name of Jesus, I actually think that calls Christians to a different standard when it comes to voting Yeah, and that you can't with good conscience just vote for a pagan just because I I don't know. I'm not sure if I agree with, I'm not sure if I agree with this.
1: Yeah. He says Christians today should simultaneously rebuke the sins of their political leaders while rendering them due honor for the God ordained services they provide. That's different. Like we do need to, we need to obey, honor, whatever, pray for our leaders. But when it comes to who you vote for and who you support, I don't, I think character matters. Mm -hmm. And I think like we've said many times, character comes from the top and makes its way down. I think some of the things that we see that we lament going on in our culture are stemming from our world of politics right now. And that I'm not sure as Christians, we should be taking an ends justify the means approach to our politics, even when there are two bad choices.
2: I think the problem about this too, is it's so hands off because it's sort of like, uh, or it it almost feels like a giving up, like, well, we can't assume we'll ever have a candidate that's, uh, you know, moral. So I'll just use the Bible to justify voting for whoever I want to. At the end of the day, I mean, this, we're not going to find a perfect political candidate because Jesus is not running for office you know what I mean and unless it's Jesus they're going to be a sinful person but I still think it's worthwhile to look for and call for that woman or man of integrity and let's like vote for that person. Yeah, let's try. Yeah. I I this is interesting. I need to think about this a little bit more, Brian.
1: Okay. Uh Jim Dennison, good friend of the show. Dennison Forum couple times. Yeah. Many times. The Dennison Forum, uh, author, writer, all of this stuff. Jim Dennison wrote a blog post the other day called The Transforming Power of Waiting on god before we get into what he says a little bit how would you even define the concept of waiting on god biblically but also what's that look like in our life what does the season of waiting even look like
2: you know it's interesting how much waiting is actually in scripture you think especially about the israelites like waiting wandering waiting and wandering some more doing it again for the next generation until they're finally able to get to the promised land and um I feel like a lot of the Christian life is waiting. And Mm -hmm. yet what we know, at least what most feel like what most Christian literature on waiting tells us is that waiting is not necessarily a passive thing. Like you're not just sort of Mm. twiddling your thumbs, but you're praying you're seeking God is doing something in your identity and your being as he's preparing you for your next season of doing that um, in in the seasons of waiting on God, we are learning to actively lean on him and trust him and that it's not passive.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I like that active posture to waiting because that seems counterintuitive. Right. I'm just waiting. Like I, I feel like so much of my life is waiting for my kids, right? Like (laughs) I'm picking you up. Right. Guys, I'm here. Guys, I'm waiting. And it just feels like a waste of time. Yeah. When, I, when you're waiting, it feels like a, a waste of time often. That's like, so I just,
2: true. It does feel like a waste of time. It does feel time.
1: like a, when you're waiting for your order at Panera. Uh-huh. When you're waiting, you're just like.
2: This is annoying. This is taking too Come long. This is, I've got yeah.
1: things to do. Right. Move right. forward here. Right. And that's a little bit of this posture here. And so Jim Dennison, he says, as I find myself, he's kind of saying earlier that he's in a waiting season He says, as I find myself in a waiting season, I've identified five simple principles. I'm not sure simple is the right word here. (laughs) Five simple principles that are encouraging me. I hope they will you as well. So let's walk through his five, what you do while you're waiting on God and how it can be a powerful time in your life. First, he says, trust God's character. Mm. The, The psalmist could testify. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name, Jim says it's easier to wait on someone when you trust their character and know that waiting must therefore serve a redemptive yeah. purpose. They are not merely running late or presuming that their time is more valuable than yours. Mm-hmm. And he says, notice the present tense. God is our help and our shield in the midst of waiting. How how important uh, do you find it to be that I, I could trust God's character in the season of waiting?
2: Yeah, there, there's this... Um There's this book that I just finished reading called Everything Sad is Untrue. It's a true story about a refugee family who came to Oklahoma, actually, to the town where I grew up in. Really, really, really good book. I'd highly recommend it. Um, And he talks about this uh, place in Italy where a lot of refugees waited, and they waited for um, their next assignment. Were they going to be able to find a place of safety and sanctuary? Were they not going to? And he talks about the difference in that waiting Mm. really was people's posture. Some people he talked about his mom kind of being a hero in the whole story was waiting for God to rescue them, to save them. And because of that, she waited with joy and anticipation. Others had no idea the outcome and didn't trust God. And they were just depressed and dark. And that became a poison in and of itself to them. And I think that's sort of the key. Like when you, when you know, who's got your timeline uh, you can wait with a posture of hope and expectancy and trust when you don't, when you don't see the trust who's holding your path, right? Or trust mm. who has the future, then that can be really dark and yes. depressing. So it's really the difference between knowing the end and what you're waiting for.
1: There you go. Next, he says, remember his faithfulness in the past, the prophet pictured our Savior's atoning love in this memorable way. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet he esteemed we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Mm. Jim goes on to say, when we remember that got what God has done for us in the past, we are encouraged to trust him in the present. Let's just talk about that. In the present, we look back. So much of our posture is always future, 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 future. But Jim makes the, the powerful point here in our waiting, in our confusion, in our what's going on now go, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. God has always been faithful. He's done this. This is the story of the Israelites.
2: This is the story of the Israelites. This is like almost all of the Psalms of lament is David, especially David is like, my soul is in agony. My soul is Mm like, oh, wait. I remember God has been faithful. Oh, wait, I remember that there has been joy. Oh, wait, I remember that God showed up and defeated my enemies. And I think the spiritual discipline of remembering, I don't, there's people who talk about how many times God throughout scripture says, remember, remember, remember. That strengthens our faith so much. I think this is why like a, a journal is actually really helpful, like of... Uh, like a prayer journal, because mm-hmm. when you can look back, you can go, oh, OK, God did this. God did that. God answered this. God showed up here. It really just strengthens strengthen your resolve and yes. you trust that God's not going to let go. He's going to keep doing what he's always done.
1: That's great. Redeem the time, Jim says, as we wait, God redeems our waiting by blessing our worship. So basically saying uh, he says as trust positions us to receive the joy God intends to give. He redeems the waiting moments with his joy-giving presence mm-hmm. in response to our faith. Beautiful. That's so important. Our waiting is not void of God. Yeah. Our waiting is not a waste of time. Is that true?
2: Yeah, I mean, I honestly think it's in you know, because our what God has planned for us, he wants to do in us first. Like That's right. our our identity as his sons and daughters matters so much to God that he wants to shape our being. At the same time as we're doing things right. And he never wants our doing to kind of outdo our being. And so seasons of waiting, I think really are seasons. You can almost think of them like pregnant pauses where God is birthing something in you, transforming something in you, mm. making you like his son so that you're ready for the next season and for what he
1: Absolutely. has for you. Next one. He, Jim says, continue to trust. He talks about Mary Magdalene and then her persistence. Mm. And then he says, Pope Gregory the Great observed at first Mary sought but did not find. But when she persevered, it happened that she found what she was looking for. Mm. When our desires are not satisfied, they they grow strong and become stronger they take hold uh, as uh, they take hold of their object. So he talks about this continuing to trust, continuing to pray, continuing to persevere in the midst of waiting.
2: Yeah, I I, I mean, you know, there's not much to add to that. I just think that's that's a good reminder for all of us. It can be very easy when you're waiting to be like, I'm done waiting. Like yes. I don't think God is ever going to show up. But there are stories after stories of people who throughout scripture and then just Christians throughout life who prayed for like 30 years before they saw I mean, we think about even David's anointing, like D- God chose David to be King. What was it? 30 years later before That's he right. actually rises up and he goes through all kinds of turmoil before that. And I, I, you know, there's all kinds of stories in scripture. Joseph is another one where you wait and you wait and you wait and you wait, and it can feel discouraging, but to continue to trust God in the waiting, you will see God's presence in the land of the living, and you'll see what all of the waiting is for. And if not on this earth, certainly when you meet Jesus face to
1: face. Absolutely. And Jim ends with this, believe God's timing is best. (laughs) Our father wants more for us than we want for ourselves in ways we will not fully understand on this side of glory. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. That's Lamentations 3.25. So I think a good word from Jim, believing that God is at work and in the waiting. Some of you out there today, you're waiting. You're just going to wear. Where are you, God? And hopefully this encourages you to know that God no, god is still at work. God is still present. God is still doing what he has promised. And we can continue to pray and persevere and trust that he is good. All right. If you know anything about this show, you know that Aubrey and I are both pastors. Uh, we do a lot of speaking. I, I particularly at my own church. Mm-hmm. You speak at your church, but you also tend to speak around. But I want to talk about speaking yeah. at your church. Okay. It's a place where you regularly or up yeah. year, you know, month after month, yeah. year after year, right? Be, uh, because the idea of reusing stuff when you're on the road, I think that's that's to be expected.
2: It, it, pe- people know that's what happens. It's your thing—you yeah. wrote a book yeah.
1: about this. You're yeah. speaking about this. You might change some of your stories, sure. whatever sure. else. Probably, Let me ask you, is it more dangerous with the Internet where people can listen to you?
2: I don't know if I would say it's more dangerous. I I like. So, for example, I am not anywhere near this category speaker. So I want to be very clear, just using this as an example, like a Chris Kane has mm-hmm. several messages in the bag that she gets hired to come and do places and I've heard people say things like, "Oh, I've heard that message before." You know, I wish there was some new content, but she's also creating new content all mm-hmm. the time. And so, you can listen to some of the classic sermons on YouTube, or you can find her new stuff. I just think that's what traveling speakers do, and whether it's on YouTube or not, it's like a it's like a musician singing the same songs again and again. Like I, I don't I w- think it's problematic.
1: I agree. I would. Con- I would. Humbly tell people the one area I went to a conference, the exponential conference, and yeah. somebody came back a second year. Yeah. So they were there at the that conference, came back to the exact conference the next year and yeah. gave the same talk.
2: And were they supposed to do that or no?
1: It wasn't. I don't know what they were told behind the scenes, but it was never like, hey, this was so powerful. We want you to hear this. Oh, or it okay. was, hey, big speaker X here. I would here. be cautious a...
2: of that. I would I would be same at place. least mindful you're not in the same location doing it. Yes. Yeah.
1: Maybe. Yeah. Or, or maybe if you do, you go, hey, you know what? Like, I, I just feel like we all need to hear this right, again. Right. All right. right. But I want to talk about in your own church and a very a question that might sound confusing, but I think is actually an important one, was was asked by a guy by the name of David Rudd on, uh, on Twitter. And he asked this, and then there was a lot of people uh, responding, pastors particularly. He asked this, is it okay for a pastor to plagiarize himself, or in your case, herself? I really like the way I preached the passage five years ago and am tempted to preach essentially the same message again in a few weeks in my same church. Is that okay? So Aubrey, help us understand why this is an important question, but then I would love to know your thoughts on it.
2: Yeah. One, I want to do some semantic work here because that's not, you cannot plagiarize yourself. You can plagiarize someone else's work only. So you're not, so that's not the point of what he's asking here, but I, let's just be clear, like. You know, you can't plagiarize yourself because it's your uh, intellectual content. Therefore, you own it. It's not considered plagiarism. Okay, so let's just not use that word. But what he's talking about is repeating sermons. Mm -hmm. Can I repeat sermons? I I think here's the best answer. It's it's something somebody said uh, in this tweet thread. My rule of thumb is if I barely remember preaching it, (laughs) no one else will remember hearing it. And I I actually think that's kind of key. If enough time has passed and you're covering the same scripture and you've already done a sermon on it, I think absolutely go to that sermon, look at your notes. You probably do need to refresh based on where God has you now and other things you've learned from scripture and from other theologians at this point. But like, if it's the same outline or the same material i think that is not problematic at all especially again if it's been years
1: yeah if it's like i mean he's at five years here we're
2: talking a few weeks later that's probably a problem i think maybe with even in the same year it's probably a problem but if it's been a few years i i've heard you know this is debatable too is if you share the same anecdote should Mm -hmm. you say hey you probably heard me say this before but xyz here's the great story blah, blah 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 I've heard people in my own church say, don't do that mm. one, because I don't need, I may not have remembered that you've already told me that. And I don't need that kind of like trigger for whatever reason. Like, I just don't need to be distracted by the fact that you've already said it. And two, like, I don't care that you've already said it. Just go ahead and tell yeah. the story. But there's some debate about that in the art of speech making, like if you should reference when it. When it comes
1: to that, sometimes I just don't feel like I have that many personal stories. Right. Like, um, and once you're at a church 10 years, 12 years, 15 right. years, like, but, but the bigger question for me becomes when it comes to reusing, mm-hmm. um, and the one thing here I'm going to say, I don't even think is wrong, Yeah. but it comes to why am I reusing? So am I reusing because I'm in a, uh, I'm out of time Yeah. and I just need to pull back. I, yeah. That might be okay, but that's one reason. Am I reusing because I just don't have it in me to write sermons anymore? Right. That's a a warning sign. That might be a flag. That's a flag. Yeah, yeah. What he's talking about is reusing because it was good, and now you're back to that passage again. Mm -hmm. I have absolutely no problem with that. Yeah. And if somebody has old notes, I would tell them, hey, like... It's the same passage, Mm -hmm. the same point. What I said was good. Maybe I go back and tweak and maybe this and that.
2: Freshen it up. I
1: think you make a good point. It's not plagiarizing if you're taking your own work. It's
2: not just repeating.
1: What about the pastor out there who is that one example that I used of like, listen, I'm just dried up. I don't have it in me to write a sermon. Yeah. I'm not excited to preach. I'm just going to go back to the archives and we're going to go through Series X again because mm-hmm. it gives me a six weeks of just old material that yep. I don't even have to prep. Yep. I'm just tired.
2: Yeah, I think I would say to that pastor, then, and I don't mean to put more burden on that pastor, but then you probably haven't done a good job of identifying the people in your church that have teaching and preaching gifts and raising them up to preach and teach. Because ultimately, like, you're not the only one in your church God has provided as a preacher or teacher. Like if you look at the different spiritual gifts, there are other preachers and teachers in your body. And so probably you need to start an equipping class experience, whatever language you want to use to equip the to equip the body for the work. Right. I mean, Mm. that's very scriptural and begin to raise up some apprentices so that you can have like a teaching or preaching team Mm. i I actually think you know you're neglecting building into the gifts of the people of your church if that's happening i also think that's uh, it is like brian said it's a flag you probably need a sabbath probably need some rest bring in a guest teacher bring in an interim teacher like do what you can to refresh your own spirit because pastors do get weary and worn out and it is difficult to preach new content every single weekend and so you probably need a break you probably need a team you need a sabbath all of that all all of that good fun stuff i would also say one of my husband's mentors a pastor named dave mcdowell who died uh just i think it was just a year ago from cancer now um he never preached the same sermon twice and he was a preacher for probably 45 50 years and he, it was his intention. I will not preach the same sermon
1: twice. So I'll preach the same passage, but not, not I'm going to rewrite, passage. I'm going to do it. Yep. That's impressive. And
2: that's kind of old school, but it's impressive.
1: I think for me, when it comes to the pastor out there, and I think we've all been in the spot when you're like, listen, there's just something going on in my soul where I can't write a sermon right now. Like, I just can't. Mm-hmm. I don't, I feel drained mm-hmm. or I feel stretched or maybe I feel. Just distant. Like, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. I do think you used the right word. I think it's a flag that mm-hmm. we need to go, okay, I need to talk to somebody. The same way that I believe that, uh, to take this much further, people who steal sermons from other people on the yeah. internet, which is a huge deal. Yeah,
2: it is a huge deal.
1: Everyone I've ever known who's gotten caught doing that and has done it, it's never like, hey, I'm in a really healthy spot, <laughs> and now I started stealing sermons. <laughs> They're all it's worn out. Always, always yeah. burnout, yep. affair. Yeah. There's all crisis of faith. It's yeah. always that. Yeah. And so that's different than when you're reusing sermons, but it's a little bit the same. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you're heading down that road and you recognize those things, mm-hmm. recognize the yellow flag, the yeah. red flag, and just go, okay, I, I need a Sabbath. I need yeah. to talk to a counselor. I need yeah. to be honest with my elders. I need to do, I need a break from the pulpit and yeah. I need to tell the congregation why. I think that's, I would never say what he asked here is at all wrong and I've done it. I've, yeah, I've brought stuff I back.
2: Every, most pastors have.
1: Uh, but, but recognize when it is an issue yeah, and, and maybe go towards that. Good
2: point. Okay, Brian, a few, uh, I want to say a few months ago, you and I uh, brought up a story about a youth group or something that started playing worship music in on the middle of a flight.
0: Oh yeah, do you remember
2: this story? It was story? like a mission trip. Yeah, it was a mission trip, and like we were kind of saying it was a little bit cringeworthy because it was making the people around them like deeply, deeply uncomfortable. Right, right. Then we also covered the story kind of in that same vein of a church that put on like an Avengers musical. That was awful, but it was really bad. Like Tony Stark was hanging on the cross. At some point, like it was really, really bad. And the point is, every once in a while, now look, Brian and I love Jesus and we love evangelism, but every once in a while, we need to talk about our bad efforts at it. Yeah, especially
1: when it's on the the, people really get themselves in trouble on the Sunday morning service. And I think partially because they don't, they're they're only surrounded by mostly other Christians at that point, right? Yeah, yeah. And so. Yeah, you're about to tell a bad one.
2: I'm about to tell a bad one, and I don't always like bringing down our own. I want to be careful about that, but I think we we do need to bring this one to the forefront and talk about why it's so painful. So a church in McAllen, Texas, is facing backlash for illegally performing Hamilton. Okay, which Hamilton is... Love Hamilton. I love Hamilton. Hamilton is one of the most popular... Broadway musicals to have ever existed okay so w- we just actually covered a story on kind of faux plagiarism this is number one real plagiarism they didn't have permission to do this number uh th- it's not with just a small little entity it's with like the brand Hamilton but then apparently they also edited it with anti-lgbtq messaging and biblical so themes. I don't know that
1: it was weird like a little bit Yes, they did that. I I watched this a little bit. Yeah, they did it like that. But then also, as often happens in these, the pastor preached like a short message in the middle of it Yeah, and in it. And they they, they were claiming like, no, you really missed the point because they said we're very affirming and this and that. But in it, he said, if you're struggling with X, Y, and one of the things he said, if you're struggling with homosexuality, if you're struggling uh, and so that's kind of the way it went. But yeah, just using Hamilton, but in the in their rendition of it. Hamilton comes to Jesus.
2: He comes to Jesus. So does uh, Eliza, one of the Schuyler sisters. Jesus saves them. And like you said, there was a sermon after talking about comparing gay to alcoholism, drug addiction. Okay, so this to me, I'd like to hear your take, uh, Brian. To me, it's problematic on a number of levels. I think one of the most offensive ones to me is I'm just tired of the church being so derivative. Like we, God... We worship God, the Creator, and if you're going to put on a musical, like I feel, Right like a we, musical. Write a musical, like we have within us, like the Spirit of God who helped create the world. Like we can come up with something that's life giving and creative and cool and good without having to take something that already is in existence, plagiarize it, and use it for our own means. Like I just, I'm, I think. Hey, take a point from Hamilton if you want to use it from your sermon. Show a clip from Hamilton if you want to do that in your sermon. But when you're putting on uh, an um, unsolicited performance, an unlicensed performance, and then it's just also like not done very
0: well. Yeah, it's cringy. This is the the Marvel one.
1: This is the Marvel one from a few months ago that you and I did. It's just laughable. Like,
0: yeah. again, we're
1: not trying to do performances in our services so that the, the the world, I'm using air quotes, you know, thinks it's great or accepts Yeah, it. that's a good point. But let's not purposefully be really cringeworthy. Yeah. Let's not purposefully, like, be, make for reasons <laughs> right. for people to, like,
2: right. uh,
1: mock and stuff. It's, it was bad. And it's just weird. It's weird to take Hamilton, he which everybody weird. knows and is, like, the greatest musical possibly ever. Yeah. And to be like, hey, we're going to we're going to do it and we're going to change some stuff up so that Hamilton comes to Christ yeah. and this and that. Like, just write a musical where somebody comes to Jesus yeah. or do whatever you got to right. do. It's just weird. And then it becomes bad because the the Hamilton people hear about it. There's a dispute about were they licensed? Can they do this? Can yeah. they not is do that? Is it like, illegal? I mean, that's I, some,
2: the question of legality is on the table right now. So now the church is looking. Back. I mean, there's a lot at stake here.
1: Yeah, you just want to make like, why? I think the yeah, there's bigger yeah. questions to this, but I think with this, you just want to go, why? What's the point?
2: Okay, so let's, let's try to put a positive spin on this, Brian. Wow. Uh, let, you and I, let's just agree, we're not going to do this kind of thing. So what are better ways to utilize pop culture for uh, Christian ends, or what are better ways to do evangelism?
1: So I'm not much of a uh, creative person, right? Like yeah. I can't make a, I'm not going to make a movie. Right. I'm not going to write a song like right. those kinds of things. With that said, if that is you do it really well, do it really well. I, I think of, you know, uh, I think of what our friend Dallas Jenkins has been doing with the chosen, like do it well and, um, or don't do it at all. I would say. So that's one, uh, two, like we don't need to, uh, if we believe the gospel is really the hope of the world, in the message of salvation, yeah. like we don't need to trick it up. We don't need yes. to be like, gosh, people aren't going to want to hear this. So what should we do? I got it. Hamilton. <laughs> or I got it. Marvel. Or right. I got it. Like, Star well, Wars. I, I yeah. guess my biggest thing when I see things like this is why, yeah. like, were, was the worship guy, just like creative people, just bored. Right. Or were they like, what's the point? Like, what's why? Point? what are we really trying to do? Like sometimes, When I see things like this, and this might be completely unfair to this church. I understand this. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when I see stuff like this, it doesn't strike me as creative. It strikes me as like desperate and it strikes me as just not lazy because it takes a lot of work to put something like
2: like that on.
1: It's just like I, I just always ask myself, like, what was the thought Process behind this? Who are we trying to reach? Uh, and I guess it also makes me feel like it makes the church to the outside look silly.
2: Yeah, that's it. it just makes right.
1: it look silly. Like, yeah. what are they trying to do? Right. What's their cheesy thing? As opposed to like, right. I'm, I'm, you know me. I'm not the person who's like, we must get up there and just preach doctrine yeah. for forty five. Like, there's you're
2: funny. You there's like, room yeah. for
1: creativity. in yeah. This, but this just feels weird to me. I
2: think the other thing that this does, and in some sense we can't control this, but this could have been controlled. Now we're just, like you said, It we're now just putting a lot of fuel in the fire for the outside world to be like the church is all these things the church is against. Look, they took this beloved, I mean, and this musical is beloved around the world. We're going to put our own spin on it. We're going to make it an, a quote unquote anti-LGBTQ message. It just makes the church look so bad. Mm -hmm. And now there's more fuel for the fire of that. And I think that that's part of what's so disturbing about it. And I, I almost wish they would have gotten a license, performed an amazing version of Hamilton, invited the whole town to come and like, that would have been so cool. And at the end go,
1: Hey, we're glad you're here. Let us share with you what we are, our hope. And if you want to leave, you can leave, but let us share with you. Uh, even our reflections on Hamilton yeah. and his life, like there's ways to do that. I just think we don't give people enough credit.
2: Yeah. I think that's like, so just,
1: true. you know, tell them the truth and, yeah. and you don't need to trick up the gospel. You right. can say, Hey, you know what? Let me share with you the message of yeah. the hope of that, of salvation. And yeah. a lot of us are. There was ways to do this. This is just weird. And we see it all the time. It's just weird. Yeah,
2: let me me say one final thing on, uh, let's see, on Tuesday night, I think it was uh, Kevin and I took our sons to the, uh, there was a concert at Hoffman Estates in the park promoting an organization called the Baton Pass, a ministry I'm a part of. And there was a singer there named Blanca, and she's a Christian singer, but like she put on an amazing show. She told her story. She shared the gospel. My kids were so enthralled by it. It, it was an incru- It was on a tiny stage, like in the middle of a park. It wasn't even this fancy auditorium, and yet it was so powerful. And like, you don't need to do more than that. Like, if you need to put on a show, put on a great show, preach the message of Jesus, I'm telling you, people will be drawn to it because the gospel, like you said, is compelling enough. That's right. Um, Brian, you uh, and I have been doing the show together now for a year and a half, year and a half. Yeah, we're coming on two years. And in that time period, our kids have grown up a little bit. You've got a, a daughter about to go to college I that do. we keep talking about. I have a son who's about to get his driver's license, but nowhere in any of our conversations about marriage or children have we ever had a conversation about a quaternity marriage? Excuse me. Quaternary. Are we back
1: to polyamory marriage here?
2: This is not polyamory. This is not what you think. Don't look. Okay. Tell me your guess at what quaternary marriage is. I don't have
1: the first idea. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. you clearly went, I, I clearly went to a dark place with this. Yes. I thought this was multiple yeah. spouses right. kind of intertwined right. with each other. Right. So right. thankfully I'm wrong. What is it? I have no idea.
2: It is twins who marry twins and then give birth to genetic siblings. That is a quaternary marriage.
1: They are genetic siblings.
2: So identical twins give birth to identical twins marry identical twins, both give birth to two sons. Uh, They're just a few months apart. And um, apparently, what's very interesting about this whole family, when they live together, All of them. They are very clear to say they have separate bedrooms because they say people get weird about us. Apparently they have people that kind of stalk them. Um, But what's interesting is the kids are attached to all of the parents. They call them two dadas and two mamas. Really? Because the kids, I think, are still at such a young age that they're not totally recognizing, like, who's mom and who's dad yet. I'm sure there's some uh, unspeakable things the kids are recognizing, but their names are Jet and Jax, and they are, I mean, I guess the kids are, are going to treat
1: them as siblings or so
2: this is the part I'm, I'm a little unsure about. And they haven't, they haven't necessarily said that. Are they treating them as siblings or are they treating them as cousins? The fact that they live together says something. Now the two boys do look different. I'm looking at their picture. Okay. So the, ki- the, the two boys, Boys don't look like identical twins. But do we think they're, are the kids siblings?
1: No, I don't think they're so. They're cousins, right? Even though they've got, like, twin the genetics is twin weird. I, that does mess with my head. But yeah. no, I will not sign on as siblings. They are still cousins.
2: Okay, so this is a quaternary marriage.
1: That's really wild.
2: Wild, right? Because,
1: like, this is not, this. that is 10 steps beyond what I'm going to describe. But, like, my mom, uh-huh. so my grandparents on my mom's side... Uh, and they were my grandma and grandpa. So two sisters married two brothers.
2: Okay. And yes. so on my mom's
1: side of the family, like even though they're cousins, they have all the same family. Cause on both sides, they have both sides on mom's side and dad's side, which I always thought was crazy. So they always called themselves like double cousins okay, or this or yeah, that, yeah, yeah. but this is a whole nother level, a whole of other other level of what you're describing
2: of that. So I don't really have much to say about that, but I thought it was kind of interesting. There's just okay. weird
1: and crazy weird things, crazy things about, in the world. about the world out there that you're yeah. I never thought of that. <laughs>
2: never thought of that either. But there we go. Apparently, they're all like that was a dream of theirs to marry identical twins growing up. So they're they're living their best life. All yes. right. Speaking of families, a new survey is showing the real impact of inflation on families. Brian, we have talked a lot about inflation uh, how it is impacting our families. How are you guys feeling about inflation these
1: days? <laughs> Badly. <laughs> yeah,
2: not feeling good I, about it.
1: It is wild. You and I were talking about this the other day. You're, as your kids get older, they just get more expensive, Yeah. right? And uh, so, some is the choices we've made. Others is just life. But you're like, my my daughter just got braces the yeah. other day. Wonderful. Glad that she could get them. Great, she needs them, um, all this stuff. Thank you from the monthly payment you've now given. You know, all of mm-hmm. these things. And now with Carrie and I literally just had a conversation the other day about about groceries. Like, is there a way to bring the cost down? Because it's crazy inflation, you know, gas. We're driving all over the place and gas is just soaring all of this stuff. So, no, uh, I feel like my budget should not be really strapped right now. And I feel like it's really strapped. And I think. Some life choices have to do with that. But a lot of that has to do with just what's going on in the world.
2: I would say summer in general, you spend more money just because the kids are around more. And you're either doing a vacation or going out to eat more. You're providing more meals, et cetera. And yet I I think it's more than that. It obviously we're feeling the pinch of this. Uh, This survey, this is from fatherly.com. They pulled over 1,300 adults over the age of 18 found that 75% of them say their income is falling behind the cost of living. That means they're not making enough money through wages to keep up with the inflated living costs. Mm. Most people surveyed think financial issues will continue to grow. 61% believe the economy will be worse off next year than mm. it is right now. Oh, heaven help us. Yes, heaven help us. Uh, 77% of responders say that they're preparing for a recession. 71 say they're already cutting back on spending to make ends meet. 38% they've delayed a major purchase due to rising interest prices. 31% report on having to rely more on their credit cards to make purchases. I feel like for for us, we are definitely all that. We're yes. counting costs. We're saying, oh, we, we wanted to do this one thing. We're absolutely not going to be able to do it now. Ooh, we have put a couple of things on our credit card, which I hate, hate, hate mm-hmm. having credit card debt. We try really hard not to, but it's been... The reality and I'm just like okay we'll budget for it and we'll make sure we try to pay it back next month but I you know because once it,
1: that grows it grows yeah
2: once that grows it grows so it's not a wise thing to do it I mean I this is we're all feeling it so pastor us for a little bit Brian <laughs> how do we uh I mean I think like let's talk practically I think Brian and I have both said it is now more than ever if you don't have a family budget like get your pen to paper or get an app Get an Excel, Excel spreadsheet and start a family budget so that you're not living beyond your means. I think more than ever that yeah. needs to happen. Get creative about like walking places or saving money on groceries by shopping at Aldi versus Target, right. those kinds of things. But then how do we kind of keep our our self anchored and centered in the middle of it
1: Yeah, this goes back to the biblical concept of contentment, mm-hmm. right? And one of those easier said than done biblical uh, calls, but we are called to be content with what we have and right now a lot of us have less yeah and the contentment call is still there that doesn't go away because inflation hit or gas prices are high we're still called to be content and so the question becomes at its root how do we grow in contentment and the contentment comes from knowing that god is with us knowing that god always provides understanding what is important in this world again easier said than done yeah but that's where contentment. So I think it is. I think especially in a time of inflation, there is a call to contentment uh, and and a reexamining of what is it that where is it that we have put our hope? Mm. Is it in a growing bank account? Is it in a it's growing portfolio, a it's bigger house Ryan. and always up and to the right? Or yeah. is it somewhere else? I think those are the hard questions we're forced to ask right now.
2: Yep, I, I think you're exactly right. Inflation has hit a 40 year high. And according to recent reports, inflation has officially soared to 9.1 percent, more than what Dow Jones had previously estimated we would hit at 8.8. So whether you're feeling the pinch of it or not, I think most of us are. Brian's exactly right. Like this is a moment to find out where your treasure is. Really trust God. Find out where your values are. And um, I think just be wise in this season too. And don't give up on being faithful to God with your money. Mm, that's either. good. This is not a moment to stop giving to the church, stop giving to ministry. This is a moment to trust God more and more and make very wise, um, very wise decisions that will impact eternity. Yeah. I thought this one was a smile on your face kind of story. I want to talk about some classic cereals from the eighties. Mm. Brian. Name a classic cereal.
1: Lucky Charms. I think that is a classic cereal. I think everybody yeah. uh, looks back to their childhood and yeah. goes Lucky Charms because of those marshmallows. We were over my uh, yeah, brother-in-law's sister-in-law's place the other day, and was talking to like my little four-year-old niece. Yeah, we had a little conversation about Lucky Charms mm-hmm. and about how you kind of try to yeah. focus in on those uh, on those marshmallows. Yeah. Love the Lucky Remember Charms. Remember
2: Lucky Charms? I, I think it was just a limited edition, but it was like, "Oops, all marshmallow." Yeah, and that, was that like, feels like cheating. You think so? I felt like
1: that was, like, genius. I used to, like, I, I would eat, like, the, the cereal part first and then yeah. get to the part where you only oh, have marshmallow like the left. dessert
2: at the end of them, And you're like,
1: then you felt like you pulled something yeah. off. Like, I don't know, if I was just starting with the marshmallows, it feels a little decadent.
2: Like, you like <laughs> you haven't earned your marshmallows exactly. that way. Uh, you know what I was remembering from my childhood? My parents used to get just plain old Rice Krispies, which are just not a great cereal, plain no. old rice krispies. Anything you
1: have to pour a ton of sugar on, That's they should have poured the say, sugar though. on the start. I,
2: they would then let me pour, like, spoonfuls of sugar on. And I was thinking, why didn't they just buy the, like, sugary cereal? Because it's yes. probably worse for me, all that cereal. Like, but, man, sugary milk at the end of cereal? Not bad. Not yes. bad at all. All right, Brian, let me tell you uh, what General Mills is bringing back. And then we'll talk about some other nostalgic items that we miss. All right, are you ready for this? hmm I bet you can guess. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some words and see if you can, you can make a guess here. Think Halloween cereal.
1: Count Chocula. Count Chocula. Nice.
2: Can you think of another one? Because there are a few in the Halloween cereal genre.
1: I can't. Count Chocula was, was my only one okay, there.
2: Okay. Uh, Frankenberry. You remember that I had picture Frankenstein? I do. Yes, I do. And Booberry. Berry. You remember that one?
1: Yeah, questionable, questionable title. Okay,
2: this one I actually, <laughs> this one I actually don't remember at all. <laughs> it's <a questionable> title. <laughs> this one I don't remember at all. Fruit Brute Monster cereal, nope. but apparently it's got like a a wolf on it, probably a werewolf on it, and he's eating he's eating some cereal. Okay, so known by an older generation as the Monster Cereals, these four flavors were first introduced. Uh, by the cereal maker General Mills in 1971. Apparently, these were cartoon movie evildoers. That makes sense. Frankenstein, Dracula, etc. Um, so apparently, with the exception of Count Chocolates, frosted chocolate pieces with marshmallows. Those, that was a good cereal right there. I Count didn't know Chocula. they did a away
1: right with Count Chocula. Well, so
2: here's what's interesting about Count Chocula. It actually has been back with some limited edition releases because I remember buying it the past couple of years, but you can't get it all the time. You can you can get a box here and there. I think the last time it was officially sold was in 2009. Fruit Brute, it hasn't been sold since 1982. But apparently they're all coming back. Now, okay. do you remember this? At one time General Mills put all of the cereals together. And they called it a monster mash and you could buy no. the limited edition. Is that creative or lazy? Gross. Yeah, that's kind of nasty. Like, could you be like
1: Fruit Loops, Lucky Charms, and Raisin Bran? Like, uh, I'm like, that's not going to be yeah, good. Yeah, that's
2: not good. That's what is not your good.
1: favorite non-sugary cereal?
2: Non. Uh, oh, yeah. This is going to make me sound so boring, but recently, Kevin and I have been eating Kashi cereal. It's delicious. Nah. And I didn't know. They have like it has different shapes and different textures. Now, I you could maybe count this as sugary, although it says no sugar. It's cinnamon flavored. Okay, okay so it's sweet. Okay, I'm
1: gonna let you. I'm gonna let you wrestle with that yourself.
2: Okay, I'm gonna say cinnamon kashi But can I tell you my favorite sugary cereal? Because that's really what matters. Go for it. Rice Krispie Treats cereal, mm. the greatest cereal ever made, and I can never find it.
1: So my mom used to make Rice Krispie Treats, not like cereal, but like, and those were wonderful. I think the greatest, so this is cheating. Like when I was eating cereals more, I used to love to eat Raisin Bran, but I would pour a ton of sugar on it. Yeah. So my yeah. sugary cereal yeah. of choice, we already mentioned Lucky Charms. I think you get me some Fruit Loops. I'm good to go. Here's the worst cereal of all that like most unhealthy that I loved growing up. Are you ready for it? Yeah, ready. Remember Cookie Crisp? Just
2: little cookies. <gasps> little cookies, little chocolate chip cookies. Yes. yes yeah.
1: I, I think no, that was good. Uh, yeah. That yeah. was
2: really good. Okay. So, Brian, this made me feel nostalgic for other things, uh, you know, that we might miss food or otherwise. And um I want to know if there's anything that comes to mind that makes you feel nostalgic or that you miss.
1: Just in general? life in in general? general.
2: Yeah, it can be food. It doesn't have to be food. One thing that uh, Catherine and I actually talked about last week, we did a top five list of um, top five, or maybe it was two weeks ago. Catherine and I did a top five list of school supplies from growing up and Trapper Keeper. I miss a Trapper Keeper. No, you miss a Trapper Keeper. Yeah,
1: I think I miss... See, a lot of this has to do with us being kids, right? Like that's true. What did I... I miss... Because right now, if I did this, I would just hurt myself and not be able to stand up. Yeah. Do you remember doing the slip and slide?
2: <gasps> the slip and slide. That was I so I feel fun. like if right now
1: I did the slip and slide, yeah. I would not get up. I would be in pain. <laughs> I would be... Ready. So I miss that. Yeah. I miss just... I used to eat so badly as a kid, and it didn't have that great of an effect on me. Like I, later
2: on in life, what about like Spaghettios? Did you eat like canned Spaghettios? I
1: mean, they,
2: those that were was amazing. Like, that, was like a, that
1: was like a healthy portion of my diet. <laughs> that was. I used to like put like string cheese straight into my mouth. I was yeah. cutting Velveeta cheese, so yeah. I miss those things. Yeah. But I do think nostalgia is important, mm-hmm. right? Like. Like, I look back to my my childhood with a lot of nostalgia, and one of it is just my love for my church growing up. Oh,
2: I love that. Like, I
1: did. We had this little church in New Jersey. I didn't know it was little, yeah. and we we did everything together, yeah. right? Like, picked, and I think in many ways, my love and experience of my local church growing up is why I'm a pastor.
2: Oh, I love that. Because yeah. it was
1: just a positive experience. Yeah. And you and I have to talk a lot about abuse and toxicity, you know? yeah. and all of that's true. Yeah. I'm just super nostalgically thankful. That's not. There was probably garbage going on that I didn't know about. Yeah,
2: but in general, you felt like you were part of something cool and you enjoyed it.
1: It was not part of my upbringing, and therefore, I have a super nostalgic, positive view of my church upbringing and want to provide that for other people, I suppose.
2: Oh, I love that. That's so cool. Wow. I like how this is how we are in the common good. We went from nostalgic cereal... To the church.
1: There you go. We well do done.
2: It. Well done, sir. All right. Well, uh, any other, this is your last chance to share any other nostalgic items that you miss, food or otherwise.
1: You know, I I do miss um, growing up. See, this is more where, regional. The New York style pizza.
2: That's the roll-up pizza?
1: No, it's just very thin and very greasy thin. and in a big triangle. And people, you just, Why do
2: people talk about rolling it up? They do, and they talk about how you roll it and you eat it. I mean,
1: you can put Fold it in it half, or but that's dumb.
2: But that's okay, dumb. that's not what, like, real New Yorkers do?
1: No, no. So I, I miss that kind of stuff. When I yeah. think nostalgic food from growing up, I'm like, yeah. oh, get me the pizza from Phil's Pizza in downtown yeah. where we lived. Yeah. I would be so happy if that happened.
2: Okay, I'll ask you one more question and then I promise you we'll we'll stop talking yes. about nostalgic food and cereal. What's your favorite non-sugary cereal?
1: I think it's Raisin Bran, but like yeah. I said, uh y- you I still pour sugar all over it. So that's right. the weird yeah. part about it. Um But yeah, I love Raisin Bran. I went through a big Raisin Bran stage. So I do like Raisin Bran.
2: Okay. All right. Well, we'll see if those nostalgic cereals are back in stock at the stores. And maybe they'll remind us of our nostalgia for the church like it does for Brian. All right. Well, hey, thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson. And you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.